Well, we're continuing our series of scripture talks this morning called Do Life Differently based on the book of Philippians. And we started a, f- a few weeks ago talking about what it means to be discerning and then uh, talk about being bold. And, and then last week we talked about being united. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about being like Christ. And um, we are called to live as the Jesus following community, qualitatively different lives in the world around us. Not because we're better than anyone else, but because we are to be up close and personal with Jesus. And by his spirit, he transforms us to resemble his character and likeness. And so uh, there's a, a, a Psalm, Psalm 115, that warns the reader about um, being an idolater or worshiping false idols or false gods. And the warning goes something like this, those who create them will become like them. Again, talking about creating idols or um, false worship. And so the principle is that we resemble what we worship um, or we become what we love. And so um, we are invited as the Jesus following community to worship the one true God, to follow the Lord Jesus closely and so resemble him in our character. It's been said before that imitation is the highest form of flattery and that's so true. And the apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter five, verse one, and he said, be imitators of God. And so uh, we are to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and embody his character to the world around us. And so uh, again, if you're new to the Bible or new to faith or new to the church, the word holy um, really means to be qualitatively different. God himself is holy. He is different than us. He is the creator. We are creation. He is an independent being. We are dependent upon him for our next breath. And so we are called to live a different kind of life. Um, One of Jesus' close friends, the Apostle Peter, he wrote these words in his uh, letter to the first Christians, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. He said, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Uh, Temporary residents and foreigners. That's how the early Christians were to view themselves that this world is their home, but it's a temporary home. And there's almost a sense in which our our hearts and our souls are longing for another place. There's like a homing device in our soul that longs to be with God and to be up close and personal with the Lord Jesus. I like uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated um, the message, the Bible, uh, in the message version. It goes like this, friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life uh, in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join you in the celebration when Jesus arrives. And so there's this invitation for us to live different or distinct lives from the world around us, to be witnesses, as we'll hear about next week, uh, to the Lord Jesus and, uh, and again, to remind people of the narrow way of the gospel. And so this has been the teaching theme for the last number of weeks. Do life differently. And it's not an idea that we've made up. The Apostle Paul wrote, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And Jesus himself said that those who would follow him would be the salt of the earth, the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5. And so um, we are called to do life differently. And our passage to ponder as we consider the book of Philippians, we're just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this four chapter book 
It takes the form of a handful of mini blogs or essays that Paul wrote to the early Christians. And in chapter two, which will be our text for today, which is also our passage to ponder, is like the center of gravity for the book of Philippians. Or as we've called it earlier, it's like the hinges of the door of Philippians. It turns on chapter two. And it's a beautiful, beautiful description of the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus. And um, so let me read our passage to ponder, and then I'll keep reading a few verses past it, which is our text for for this morning. So uh, Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're going to come back to that, this concept of developing the same mindset of Christ Jesus as we um, look to be like Christ in the world. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God or status with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so um, we're going to talk about what it means to be like Christ. And again, Paul writes and says that we should have the same mindset that Christ Jesus had. So what is a mindset? Um, A mindset is defined as um, the set of attitudes or beliefs that we hold. Uh, We all have attitudes and beliefs, like an orientation of the mind, uh, like a worldview, so to speak. Um, Mindset is crucially important because our attitudes and beliefs affect everything we do. Everything we feel, think, and experience is part of our mindset. Our mindset influences our perceptions, and how we move through the world. And that's a quote by uh, Tiki Davis, who's a PhD. And I think it's a wonderful summary. Uh, For us to adopt a certain mindset is to really adopt a certain vantage point or view or worldview or set of assumptions, beliefs, and attitudes. And then Paul says, we should have that in common with the Lord Jesus. So I have three thoughts for you directly right out of Philippians chapter two that will hopefully serve as a reminder and an invitation for all of us to, um, again, grow and adopt uh, the kind of mindset that Jesus has. Okay, so number one, our mindset should be one that keeps positional power in perspective and adopts a posture of service. One that keeps positional power in perspective and adopts a posture of service. Um, Privileged thinking is problematic because it ends up leading us toward a self-centered approach to life. Um, In 1990, uh, child development researchers um, Foster Klein and Jim Fay, they coined the term helicopter parenting. Maybe you've heard about this. Um, Helicopter parenting describes parents that appear to function in a way that's um, entirely beneficial and protective of their children, uh, but it actually ends up robbing the child of independence and the capacity to develop and mature on their own. And uh, we actually find a a helicopter parent show up in um, chapter 20 of Matthew's gospel, uh, where she, uh, this mother of James and John, misunderstands the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. And she is functioning like a helicopter parent over her son. So we'll let the text speak for itself in uh, Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively, which was very much an appropriate posture to come before the Lord Jesus. She held Jesus, Messiah Jesus, in high regard. 
and she knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. They probably didn't know what they were saying at this point, but they seemed to say, we'll go with the program because we want to end up in these preferable seats of positional power. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus, again, pushed back against positional power he set aside his position of, of, of privilege and he took on humanity. And then he teaches us that life in the kingdom is to be lived differently. There's an upside down nature to it when compared to the world around us. Again, Jesus in Philippians 2, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality or status with God to be something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So privileged thinking is problematic because it's self-centered. Rather, we should develop a posture of service, which is satisfying because to serve is consistent with what it means to adopt our purpose, which is a purpose of love. So scripture teaches that if we love only those who love us, we will be just like the world around us. But we are taught and called and invited in scripture to love even those who mistreat us and who, who don't have our best interest in mind to not return evil for evil, but re to return good for evil. And Jesus always practiced what he preached. And he told the helicopter mom and his disciple friends that whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And then he practiced what he taught. In John chapter 13, Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. And I wanna just remind you who was at the table, including Judas who would soon betray him. And then he would dry them with the towel he had around, them, around him. So to be like Jesus is to keep positional power in perspective and we adopt or choose a posture of service. And we serve not just those we like or those who are good to us, we even choose the ones who don't have our best interest in mind and we serve them too. That's what it means to be like Jesus. Jesus adopted the role and the function of a servant and we ought to as well if we want to be like Christ and to do life differently. Okay, number two, our mindset should lead us to grow in humility that leads to greater measures of obedience. Our mindset should lead us to grow in humility that leads us to a greater measure of obedience. Uh, the text tells us that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, for crimes he never committed. Uh, a demanding sense of entitlement is the furthest thing from the mind of the Lord Jesus. In fact, even before his accusers, he remained silent. If you've ever been accused of something you've never done, uh, uh, it can be incredibly painful. 
Um, and the temptation is to, to defend ourselves um, because we are incensed by this injustice that's been brought against us. Jesus refuses to defend himself, though he is absolutely 100% innocent. Jesus knew who he was, and he didn't need any validation from anyone else other than his father. So how did Jesus do this? He had a humility rooted in deep security. Uh, in, in chapter 13 of the book of John, we just read about Jesus washing his disciple, uh, disciple friend's feet. This is the beginning of the story or of that narrative. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus had a clear understanding of who he was, his identity and his mission. And when we're clear about who we are and about what we're on the planet to do, we are in the sweet spot of our holy vocation and we're ready to do life differently. Humility is expressed in surrender and trust. And this is what makes obedience possible. In Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 42, we read that um, Jesus, when he was in the garden, preparing to offer his life for the sacrifice of the whole world, for the sins of the whole world. He walked away from his disciple friends when he was in Gethsemane, and he was about a stone's throw away. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Luke chapter 22. And so there was this um, surrender and trust uh, that permitted Jesus or empowered Jesus to choose obedience. And when we recognize where we've come from and we understand the goodness of God and where we're going and whose hands we're in, we can say, not my will be done, but your will be done because we know that God's will is a good will for us. And so um, if we wanna be like Jesus, we will need to grow in humility, remember where we've come from and who we are and the mission Jesus has called us to, which will help us to choose obedience along the way. Okay, number three, our final thought for consideration this morning is this. Our mindset should lead us to have confidence that God will one day make things right. Um, Jesus chose a path of suffering willingly, even though he asked for his father if there was another way, but he chose to lay his life down voluntarily, choosing a path of suffering because it was the father's will. And because Jesus knew that resurrection and ascension were on the other side of crucifixion. And we need to also hold in context the present momentary suffering that we might be experiencing, realizing that on the other side of um, the crown of thorns, so to speak, is a beautiful um, word of affirmation from the Father and where wrongs are made right, where crucifixion leads to resurrection and ascension. And as we read in Philippians chapter two, our text for this morning, verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. We share the mindset of Christ when we realize that suffering is seasonal. It's not forever, this side of heaven. And we share the mindset of Christ when we expect wrongs will be made right on the other side. Um, God is a God of justice. And we can take every confidence in that, that we can endure wrongs this side of heaven, knowing that one day Jesus will make those very wrongs right. 
And so we don't need to work hard to justify ourselves. We can rest and trust in the goodness of God and take every confidence that on the other side of what feels like crucifixion, there is resurrection and ascension on the other side. If we want to be like Jesus, we will push back against selfishness and pursue service. We will choose humility that prompts us to obey and lean into the future with confidence, knowing that God will one day make everything right. So here are three ways. Sometimes we can hear a teaching like this and it's so broad based that it's like, how do I actually make this work in my life? Let me lead you to three places of um, hopeful application for you in the week ahead or in the weeks ahead. Um, these are three ways that we can resemble Jesus in the world. Number one is this, practice forgiveness. Unfortunately, there will be many opportunities for you to experience hurt and wounds and wrongs of others. And we will be given opportunities to either nurse offense or choose forgiveness. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he chose to offer forgiveness for the ones who put him there. Uh, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The apostle Stephen, when he was dying, he imitated the Lord Jesus. He was like Christ by offering forgiveness and mercy to the ones who were executing him with his final breath. And so we can choose forgiveness, choosing to cancel the debts of others. It's not easy, but it's always a beautiful thing that liberates the forgiver and positions um, parties for reconciliation. And so let's live in this world of, of beautiful um, offers of forgiveness where we're generous with our forgiveness with others, recognizing that relate, reconciliation is not always possible, but it's definitely never going to happen unless we choose forgiveness. Secondly, choose to live an approach to life that is non-judgmental. It's easy for us to scrutinize others and to assume what's behind the uh, backstory of their life. But if we were to live more graciously and open-handed toward others, this would be a much more friendly world to live in. I think of Jesus in John chapter eight, when a woman was brought to him who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus offered her grace and mercy and refused to judge her. Boy, it would be a beautiful thing if the world around us saw a Christ-saturated community, a people of faith who um, set aside judgment and understood that it's not in their job description to be judged but that's the role of God himself who always sees clearly and always judges accurately. And our job is to lavish people with love and mercy and grace. And as Peter writes in his epistle, love covers a multitude of sins and it's a beautiful thing. So we can choose to live in a non-judgmental manner. And then finally, ultimately live for the glory of God. Um, Paul wrote that in our eating and in our drinking, may it always be for the glory of God. And so when we go to work and when we live among our friends and neighbors and with our family at home, uh, may everything we do and say and the way we conduct ourselves always be um, chosen from a posture of the glory and the honor and the beauty and the brilliance and the magnification of God's good name. And uh, that way, everything becomes sacred. And uh, so I wanna pray for you and then our host pastors are gonna come back. And I know this invitation to be like Christ is uh, maybe feels overwhelming. You and I are people who have a lower nature or a sinful nature. It leads us away from God's goodwill. Jesus himself was without sin. So in that sense, we'll never be really like Jesus. But when we say be like Christ, it's an invitation for us to adopt his character and his mindset where our attitudes and our beliefs and our worldview is, is shaped by him and being in his presence. So let me pray for you and then our host pastors will come back. 
Father, thank you again today for an opportunity for us to consider our lives. And uh, we need the Spirit's help to uh, be aligned with God's character and God's goodwill. So Holy Spirit, would you come and help us with this enormous task of living like Jesus? We know, God, we can't do it in our own strength. We're just not good enough or strong enough. And um, so would you come and assist us with that? Holy Spirit, may you um, lead us and guide us and give us the desire to take on the character of Christ. And may the world around us see Christians all over the world who resemble Jesus by the way they um, choose to live their lives, by the way they adopt values and attitudes, by the way they offer forgiveness, and, uh, and by the way they just function in the world. Help us, Lord, to not be a judgmental community and help us to live for the glory and the honor of the one true God. And we pray this in the name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.